weeks, that's a new series, and we're looking forward to it. Let's clap our hands to him. Thank you so much, <clears throat> Pastor Michael. Praise God. God is doing exciting things in this church, eh? I mean, we just we had such a powerful ignite. Uh, those of you who are there, who are there, you know what I'm talking about. Um, men's was awesome. Amen, guys. Amen. And God is on the move. All right. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst, and I thank you for what you want to release and what you want to impart this morning. I thank you, God, that none of us will leave the same. Have your way, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. We open our hearts to you, and we thank you for personal revival. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise God. As Michael shared, we're starting a new series, Personal Revival. How many of you need to be revived? Okay. What I'm going to do in this message, I'll give an introduction to personal revival. I'll explain what it is. And then I will give you a narrative, a bit of a narrative of a particular church that Jesus challenged with regards to personal revival. And then I will conclude in the third part, I'll conclude as I examine a specific facet of personal revival. So it's three parts. Explanation of what personal revival is. And then I'll give you a narrative concerning Jesus challenging a specific church with regards to personal revival. And then I'm going to touch on a specific key issue key facet, key dimension when it comes to personal revival. Are you expectant? Yes. Okay. Now, one of the things the Lord was challenging me about recently is that there are certain things I cannot delegate. I preached on the principles of delegation some time back, but he started to challenge me that there are certain things in my life I cannot delegate. And you see, it's important for every believer to understand the people that need me the most, the people that I care about the most, what do they need from me that only I can give them? You can delegate the rest. We had an experience where Lena called me some weeks ago and she said, with this outreach that we want to do in Tembisa, in Ivory Park at this specific school, we have a bit of a challenge because we are due on Saturday to be going into that particular school but the feedback we're getting from the school is that there's no one available to open up for us. And I said, okay, let me speak to them. And then they said the same thing to me. And they said, you know what, we've had a lot of theft in this particular school and so only one person plus the headmaster has the key. How many of you know that if the person who does not have the, who does have the key is not available to open up, you can't enter. And so what happened was I said to myself, well, okay guys, well let's get the headmaster in then, then he can open for us because we're not going to shift. We need to go into that school and distribute what we need to distribute. Are you seeing where I'm going? 
So I give a call to the headmaster and I say, look, this is what I'm being told. I'm being told that either you have to come or you need to appoint someone to open up for us because we need to go in. And the headmaster said, it's fine, I've already spoken to them, I'll make a plan. How many of you know that there's certain things, maybe it's doors that are shut in your life right now, that can only be opened up by someone who has the key? And you see what happens is, there's what we call delegated authority. So what God does is, He would either have you do something or have you delegate authority to someone else to do it. But in the spirit, there are certain qualifications that you have. And there are specific people God has assigned to open certain doors and He's given them the key. How many of you know that there are certain things I cannot do for you? There are certain dimensions that need to be opened up in your family, but you in your household have the key. I don't have it. You see, there are houses of authority. The church is a house of authority. And God gives headship to specific people over local churches. And they have specific keys. And if that person who's a senior leader in that church is in slumber, is sleeping, there will not be breakthrough for the church. So I say it again, there's certain things you cannot delegate. You see, for years I thought, oh no, it's fine. They will pray about such and such. And the Lord began to convict me that, Paul, there are keys I've given you and there are things that you can unlock in the spirit over this church. I want to challenge the men this morning. You cannot be in slumber and say, my wife will do all the intercession. Could it be that your family is not experiencing breakthrough because there are keys that God has given you and you're the person to unlock? And you see, that's why revival is very personal. The nature of revival is that it manifests into a nation, but it begins with the individual. The question I have for you is, what keys has God given you? There are keys that God has given you that he hasn't given me. There are keys that God has given me that he hasn't given you. I need to find out what are the keys of the kingdom that God has given me and I need to make sure that I'm not unconscious or semi-conscious in those areas. I need to make sure that I'm not sleeping on my key but I'm using my key to open up certain doors. Revival begins with the individual. So what does the word revive speak of? If you look at the etymology of this word, it literally speaks of to return to consciousness, to restore to health. So if something has been sick in your life, when you experience personal revival, you start experiencing health. If your marriage is unhealthy right now, if you want it to be healthy, it needs personal revival. What is sleeping in your life right now? What is dead in your life right now? God wants to wake it up. It comes from a Latin word, revivere, which means to live again. You see, the Lord challenged me because many of us, when we share testimonies, we talk about things that we did 10 years ago. One of the powerful things about testimonies right now, like the two we heard, it's very current. And you see, there are times you hear people, they'll get up in church and they'll say, yeah, we are the ones back in the day when we were on campus. 
Come on now, how many of you have spoken to maybe your backslidden uncle and he's always trying to identify with you but keep talking about what he did in the late 70s at university for Jesus. And you want to say, but uncle, what are you doing today? You see, God began to challenge me because I would reflect on my life and I would think of how radical I was at a certain point. And I would talk to people and I would say, this is what I would do at school. I remember after I finished my A-levels, everyone else went off home. I was so radical, I decided, no, I'm going to actually stay on because there are people who are lost, who need to get saved. And I remember having a Bible study with about 25 kids, the, the first, year, first year students, and sitting down with them, and I think about 23 of them got saved. And I would reflect back on that, I would think, when everyone is desperate to go on a holiday, there I was preaching. I remember days when I was growing up, taking my friends, still as a 12-year-old, going into the bush, other guys would be messing around and we would go into the bush as a group and we would have revival. I remember those days when I was about 14 years old writing out um, these Bible studies and my mom would type them out and people thought it was an adult who had done it. And I would share all these stories with people. And the Lord began to challenge me, Paul, why are you so impressed with how you were in the past? I remember when I started university, my first year of university, I would move around with a friend of mine called Aubrey, one of the tallest black guys you would ever have seen in your life. <laughs> he, he was like, uh, you know, maybe second only to some of those, you know, LeBron James and those kind of people, right? But this guy is extremely tall from East London. And I remember we'd move around together. He used to play the keyboard. He used to play the keyboard and we'd move around together. And the keyboard was down here for him and he'll be standing. You know, Jesus is the answer for the world today. And we'll move around. He would do the singing and the playing. And I'll do the preaching. And we'll go to the different races and we'll preach. Okay? <laughs> My wife said, tell them which races. Because at a certain point I confess, I said, I've realized that we've only been to the girls' races. <laughs> but our motives were pure. So she always thinks we were serenading the girls. No, it was evangelism. While other people were messing around, we were, we were preaching. The Lord began to challenge me and says, Why are you looking back that far to the days you were radical in evangelism? Here's the principle. Some of you in your lives right now, you're the best you've ever been financially. You're the best you've ever been in terms of your dress sense. Some people in this church, their dress sense has improved quite a bit, all right? <laughs> right? You're, you're at your best. You're at your best in terms of your communication skills, right? But there's some things where if you're looking back to a time in your life and you're saying, remember those days when I was better at prayer. Remember those days when I was radical at reaching the lost. It means in that specific area, you've backslidden and you need to slide forward. And that's the title of my message this morning. Sliding forward. Because we talk so much about backsliding. You know, the backslide, it, it even looks better sometimes, right? But how many of us are talking about sliding forward? Sliding forward. If you look at a lot of messages that have been preached, there are a lot of messages that talk about how to protect yourself from backsliding. But I believe we need to speak about how to slide forward. What are some of the keys? Those are areas in your life where revival is needed. If you can look back and you can say, but there were those days when I was better. That's an area in your life that needs revival. Why is it normal to grow financially? Yet it's also normal to backslide when it comes to prayer. 
to backslide when it comes to evangelism? Why is it that we say, no, Paul, you've got to understand, I've got kids now, so there's certain things I can't do anymore. But we can still watch those TV series. We can still sit down and watch a three-hour-long movie with our baby there. We're watching it. There's violence, there's all sorts of gunshots and all sorts of things, and baby is there soldiering on through it. But we say, no, you must understand, I can't come to Ignite because I've got a baby. The atmosphere at Ignite is more conducive for those little kids than watching that movie with that little child. And that's why it was such a blessing seeing so many people with like nursing mothers with their little kids at Ignite this Friday. Did you notice that? In what areas of your life have you backslidden? What aspects of your life need personal revival? There's grace for that. There's grace that is available for that. You see, personal revival takes place when all that was dormant in your life begins to live again. Whatever was unhealthy begins to experience health. You see, one of the dangers when we get into times of revival, God awakens certain spiritual qualities within us and then we begin to be showmen. We do it thinking, oh, now I'm a spiritual giant. But we have to ask ourselves, ourselves, is my holiness attractive? You see, God begins to deal with your heart in certain areas, but you have to ask yourself, are people being drawn by that holiness? Or is it a type of holiness that is off-putting? You see, a lot of times personal revival is short-circuited. It's short-circuited because it ends up mixed with self-righteousness. Because I've got this breakthrough in my life, I'm now holier than thou and better than all of you. That's the mentality some people have. I like what John Eldridge says. He calls it the allure of holiness. The allure of holiness. He says, if you want to turn your children off to Jesus, ignore holiness. Or choose the technical rule-keeping imposter. That's the thing that looks like something else, but it's not really. It's the counterfeit. The technical rule-keeping imposter. Be a jerk and then insist the family pray at mealtimes. Let them see you lie to your boss or your aging parents and then insist you all go to church. Want to turn your neighbors off to Christianity? Let them see you yell something nasty at your dog, then head off all dressed up for Sunday morning service. It is the lack of holiness that has clouded our witness in this world. Thank God the opposite holds true as well. The beauty of the lives of God's true friends is the sweetest and most winsome argument for Jesus there could ever be. Isn't that beautiful? That's why the Bible speaks of the beauty of holiness. I want to encourage you as God begins to revive certain areas as we go through this particular series, make sure that you don't mix it with the religious spirit. Make sure you don't mix it with self-righteousness and pride because God resists that. Are you hearing me this morning? I like what King David wrote. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the right, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. Isn't that beautiful? As for the saints 
who are in the land. They are the glorious ones in whom all, in whom is all my delight. That's Psalm 16, verse 3. We're meant to be the glorious ones. We're meant to be the glorious ones. So let's agree on a few things. During this time of revival, there's certain things that are going to be revived. And we declared these uh, on Friday at Ignite. But I want to just state them and unpack them. The first is revival of your prayer life. I said revival of your revival of your prayer life. When you experience personal revival, one of the first things that God works on is your prayer life. Number two, revival of the fear of God in your life. Where you become familiar with God. Where you become casual about spiritual things. Where you're no longer convicted concerning certain things. That area in your life will be revived. Remember, we're not talking about being afraid of God. We're talking about revering God. Giving Him the reverence that is due to Him. Number three, revival of your moral compass and awareness. God is going to be doing that in this church in this season. A revival of our moral compass and awareness. Where we will become aware of certain things that we were not aware of. Moral issues. Where things that we were casual about. Oh, it's okay if my kids do this. Oh, it's fine. Oh, I don't want to be too imposing. We'll become aware once again of moral issues. Can I hear an amen? Amen. The fourth is revival of your dependency on God. Where you've come from a background where perhaps you are no longer dependent on God. Where you had become self-sufficient. I see it happening with a lot of Christians. They experience breakthrough in their lives. They begin to prosper financially a bit more. And they think it's because of me I've done this. It's because of my own strength. It's because of my intellect. It's very important that we study why we are successful. And we figure out what those key things are that God has helped us in and we know how to replicate them. We spoke about that at men's yesterday. Because the moment you begin to take the credit and take the glory for certain things in your life, God resists the proud. So there's a revival of our dependency on God. The fifth one is a revival of your passion for ministry and serving. Maybe you've been in slumber. Maybe you've become comfortable with being a Christian who doesn't serve. You think back to yourself and you say, hey, but back in the day, I used to do this, I used to do that. But I'm now comfortable and proud of myself for just making it to church. That's not your portion. That's not your portion. There will be a revival of your passion for ministry and serving. You'll find yourself rising up within you a holy discontent, a strong sense of, you know what, I'm doing this and this and this. But you know what, this isn't the gospel. I need to rise up and preach the gospel. I need to rise up and teach people and disciple them based on the word of God. The next one is revival of your personal growth and development. When you experience personal revival, there's revival of your personal growth and development. If you're not moving forward as a believer, it means you are backsliding. If you're not growing, it means you are backsliding. And we should call it what it is. It's called backsliding. It's like inflation. If you, if you earned 10,000 rand a month in 1994, that's not bad for 1994. If you still earn 10,000 rand a month in 2016, does it mean that you are earning the same? No. 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 
you've gone backwards financially. Amen? Someone once said, being a Christian is like riding a bicycle. You have to keep moving or else you fall. Those of you who are into cycling know what I'm talking about, right? There's some people I know who, you know, nowadays they use those cleats and so on. They have them clipped on their pedals and so on. What happens when you go still? You end up falling. Amen? Some of you know what I'm talking about. As a Christian, if you don't keep moving, you end up falling. Why? God is on the move. And it's important that we are where God is. I'm going to say it again. It's important that we are where God is. Not where God was in 1994. Not where God was in your life in 1992. Not where God was. I realize a number of you weren't born there, right? All right. Not where God was in 2000. (laughs) The born trees. Right? God is on the move. What is God saying to you right now? Where is God taking you right now? You see, the Bible says, man shall not live. Jesus says this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word that what? Proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm going to say that present continuous tense. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is currently right now going forth over my life concerning my life from God. That's what I live by. I can't live by what God said for yesterday. I have to live by my daily bread. What is God saying today? If you're a businessman and you're leading an organization, you have to live by today's strategy. That's why they call it business at the speed of thought. You have to live by what is relevant now. You can't pull up a document and say, this was the strategy we developed for 1998. If you do 1998's strategy and you use some of the strategies from back then, what will happen? That's why often if they do strategic planning, what do people say? They say, no, but we did another one. We did another one after 2008. Where is it? We can't find it. And then they pull it out and they say, no, 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 but this was the original version. But there's now version 3. And you have to have the latest version of what God is saying to you right now. And you see, when we're not there, it means we need revival personally. There's a revival, number seven, of a sharp and sound mind. A sharp and sound mind. Number eight, there's a revival of your compassion. You see, it's one thing to love people. It's another thing to learn to love again. When you've been hurt, when you've been betrayed, you have to love again. And I see this happening with a lot of Christians where they were the sweetest thing ever, most gentle, firm but gentle. But then something happened to them. They got offended. They got betrayed. And today they're living in the sting of betrayal, where they'll say to you, it's difficult to love people. They've hardened their hearts. Could that be you? You see, when it comes to personal revival, we need to pray for ourselves and say, God, revive the love within my heart. The Bible tells us in Romans 5 verse 5 that the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts by His Spirit. If we have the Spirit of God living on the inside of us, if we are born again believers, God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts. We've got the ability, we've got the capacity to love and to love again. For some of you, you have to learn to love again. 
There's going to be a revival of your giving and your generosity. A revival of what? Giving, giving and generosity. You see it happening to people where they realize, wait a minute, I used to give so much. I used to love too much. Pastor. You always have to say pastor with an American accent. I used to love too much. Pastor. But now, never again. I'm going to just look after me. That's what they say. Uh, have you become tight-fisted? I shared with the guys yesterday and I said, giving is primarily covenantal. Financial breakthrough and financial prosperity is primarily covenantal. If we look in the book of Deuteronomy, it spells it out. I am the Lord who gives you the power to create what? To create wealth. And in doing so, he says what? Establishing his covenant. Financial breakthrough and financial prosperity is primarily covenantal. More so than just asking God and asking God. That's why for some of you, you ask God and you ask God. And you don't see things happening because you haven't created covenant in that particular area. That's why God says, bring your tithe to the storehouse. And watch what I'm going to do. I'll rebuke the devourer on your behalf. That's an agreement you have with God. The word covenant is just a big word for agreement. And I want to encourage you, begin to develop covenants with God. Where you say, Lord, I'm hearing what you're saying. Are you leading me to give to the poor? Yes, it's a covenant. He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. We can never outgive God. And sometimes we should pray less about certain things. I'm going to say it again in case you thought it was just a faux pas. We should pray less about certain things and hear more. Where we hear what God is saying and we read his word. And then we, it's hearing and doing. A large portion of breakthrough in your life will happen when you hear more and you do more. Sometimes the prayers we need to be praying, are, instead of saying, Lord, give me my financial breakthrough, we should be saying, Lord, what are you saying? Which covenant is this? Oh, then he reveals it to you and then you obey. There'll be a revival of your giving and generosity. Number 10, there'll be a revival of your passion for the word. Where you'll be hungry for the word of God. Where you'll feel convicted because you read all those books when you're studying for your degree. But the last time you picked up your Bible, you don't even know where your Bible is. There'll be a revival of joy in your heart. We will hear laughter once again when we come and visit you. There'll be a revival of praise and worship in your life. There'll be a revival of gratitude in your heart. Do you know that grateful people are happier than ungrateful people? There's a link between gratitude and joy. Do you know that grateful people sleep better at night than ungrateful people? Because grateful people have more positive thoughts before they go to bed at night. When I help people, I don't know if any of you are struggling with sleeping. When it comes to sleeping, it's one thing I don't have a problem with. I don't struggle falling asleep. But there are a number of people who struggle falling asleep. Lord, the Bible says that he blesses those he loves with sleep. How many of you know that sleep is your portion? Being able to fall asleep, right? 
And one of the keys to sleep well, sleeping well at night is having a grateful heart. If you struggle with sleeping well at night, just examine what you're doing just before you go to bed. Just examine in the few hours before you go to bed. Okay? What are you thinking? What's happening mentally? There'll be a revival of gratitude in your life. Please receive that. There'll be a revival of power and spiritual gifts in your life. Some of you need to begin to declare to say, I am anointed. God has called me. Some of you need to say, me too, Lord. Some of you believe that God is moving mightily and you'll say, yes, he is, but it's always, oh, it's with the other guys. I want to declare to you this morning that it's you too. Say to the person next to you, me too. We're talking about revival of your dreams. Those dreams that have been lying dormant in you in this season will be revived. You will learn to dream again. One of my books there is called Redreaming. You will learn to dream again. I speak to people and you'll hear people saying, Pastor, I, I just don't want to hope. Hope deferred, the Bible says, makes the heart grow sick. Pastor, I don't want to hope in case I'm disappointed. How many of you know that you can't have faith without hope? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So you have to begin with that joyful expectation. What are you hoping for right now? A revival of your dreams. That dream that was squashed is being revived right now. I'm prophesying it. You can receive if you want, if you believe it's your portion. That dream that you had forgotten about is being revived right now and activated. You'll begin to dream with God. You'll get ideas from heaven, supernatural business ideas, and you'll walk in them. Ideas from heaven. Those of you leading teams in your organization, you will see the blueprint for your team. And you'll implement it. And people in other departments will say, how did you do it? And you'll give glory to God. God is activating dreams right now. And then finally, number 16, there'll be a revival of your ability to hear God's voice. I said there'll be a revival of your ability to hear God's voice. Some of you who haven't been hearing God's voice, you think God is not speaking. But I'm telling you right now, he's speaking but in different ways. And he wants you to be stretched in your ability to hear from him in other ways. You see, sometimes we put God into a box, don't we? And we say, this is the only way he can speak to me. And when you stop speaking that way, we assume he's not speaking. How many of you know that he's a talking God? I feel like he's got lots to say to you and to me. We just have to tune in to his sound waves. We just have to tune him, tune in to his frequency. I believe that God is sharpening our ability in this season to hear from heaven. When we spoke to the men yesterday, we said, what are some of the keys to your breakthrough? And a couple of guys said, it's when I hear from God. It's when I consult with the living God concerning certain issues. How many of you know that they wouldn't have experienced those breakthroughs if they didn't know how to hear from heaven? God is activating that in your life right now. There's an activation taking place right now of prophetic gifts. Some of you need a word of wisdom in your life. Where you are parked off there, you are there in the workplace, and you don't know what to say when people come looking to you for answers. God is activating our ability to hear from heaven. 
in this season. Can I hear an amen? amen. So these are areas I would encourage you to pray about. These are areas, these 16 areas to go in, in your quiet times with the Lord, to say, God, I'm believing you for breakthrough in these particular areas of revival. Writing as a senior pastor and former Old Testament professor, Raymond C. Ortland Jr. provides a vivid description of revival. He says, it's when God rends the heavens and comes down on his people. A divine power achieves what human effort at its best fails to do. God's people thirst for the ministry of the word and receive it with tender meltings of soul. The grip of the enslaving sin is broken. Right now God is breaking addictions. The grip of the enslaving sin is broken. Reconciliation between believers is sought and granted. So there's forgiveness and they're seeking out for forgiveness. Spiritual things rather than material things capture people's hearts. Are you more captured right now by material things than spiritual things? A good way of figuring that out is what you talk about the most. Spiritual things rather than material things capture people's hearts. I have a problem with lots of Christians because when you start talking about Jesus, they've got nothing to say. And when you talk about making money, when you talk about what latest thing they're going to buy or what new clothes are out there, oh, they've got lots to say. They're the biggest talkers. Ask yourself, do I have much to say about spiritual things? Do I have much to say about Jesus? Ask yourself, when I get into his presence and I'm trying to seek his face, do I just run out of words very quickly? But when I'm socializing with my friends, I'm the big gossip. I'm the one who's telling all the stories. That's an indication of where your heart is. The Bible tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If Jesus is in your heart, if the things of God are in your heart, if you be meditating on scripture day and night, guess what will come out of your mouth? Those things. You see, we are as spiritual as our thoughts. Let me continue with the quotation before I get distract, distracted. All right? Spiritual things rather than material things capture people's hearts. A defensive, timid church is transformed into a confident army. Believers joyfully suffer for their Lord. They treasure usefulness to God over career advancement. Some of you are so impressed with yourselves because... You, are, you advance in your career. Your boss likes you. This person likes you. Are you as impressed with yourself when it comes to your involvement in church? You see, sometimes we compartmentalize success. So someone who experiences financial breakthrough and success, we begin to think, oh, so you're successful in all areas. Are you happy about your advancement as a father? Are you happy about your advancement as a husband? Are you happy... In all areas of life. Communion with God is avidly enjoyed. Churches and Christian organizations reform their policies and procedures. People who had always been indifferent to the gospel now inquire anxiously. What are you curious about? If there's something you don't understand in the word, do you go and read up on it? Or do you wait for the next seminar? Are you hungry to learn and to grow? And this type of spiritual movement draws in not just the isolated straggler here and there, but large numbers of people. A wave of divine grace washes over the church and spills onto the world. 
That is what happens when God comes. Friends, Jesus is here. Friends, God has arrived. That's what happens in times of revival. So I said to you, I want to share with you a bit about the nature of revival, which I've done. Now I want to go into specifics of sliding forward. If you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 7. I want to talk to you about a particular church, the church at Ephesus, because God looks at this church and he has some things to say. And today I'm telling you right now, God is looking at your family and he's got an opinion. God is looking at this church and he has an opinion. And we see Jesus here speak to the church at Ephesus. And what we need to understand is that the church at Ephesus was a very influential church. The city of Ephesus was very influential as a city. It had a port. Today we don't see that. It's not because the city moved. It's because the shoreline moved. You guys understand you've done geography, right? Sometimes that's what happens. The shoreline because of sediment. How many of you do geography here? Right? Because of the sediment that builds up and so on, you can have a shoreline moving. And it looks like the city has moved, but the city hasn't moved. Very influential city with hundreds of thousands of people at that time in that particular city. And I think it's so interesting when you start seeing what Jesus would have to say to this particular church that was a great church. It says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, if you've got internal auditors going into your, from your organization and examining certain things, or external auditors, they're coming to audit and there's specific things that they tend to look for. What would God find if he was auditing your family? What would God find if he was giving you a spiritual health audit? How many things would he say, this needs revival, that needs revival? And when we look at the book of the Revelation, we see that this is what's taking place. It was like an audit, and Jesus had something to say about it. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. I want you to see something here. Jesus was actually affirming those qualities. Jesus was saying, this is good. You guys have got it going well concerning these particular things. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Jesus was recognizing what they were doing right and he was celebrating that. Then he goes on to say something I find interesting. He goes on to say, yet I hold this against you. Let me ask you a question. Could it be that when he does the spiritual health audit on you, there's some things he holds against you? People don't like using that language, do they? Ladies and gentlemen, this is New Testament. This is right at the end of the New Testament. This was one of the last books written. One of the last. Okay? Some people will say to us, oh no, you know, because uh, Jesus has got nothing against us. God is for you, not against you. God is for us, but he's against certain things. Because he notices them and he says, we need to be revived in these areas. And Jesus uses this language, I hold this against you. 
How many of you can do that if you're prophesying over someone? That says the Lord, I have this against you. You'll be rebuked from the modern day church. Like, oh no, prophecy is just supposed to edify. Oh, you're not edifying them. So Jesus says a number of these positive things. He says about six positive things. And then he highlights this particular thing he's got against the, in, the individuals. And I find this interesting because he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. This passage of scripture shows us seven things that Jesus takes note of. And one of the seven, the people were not doing. But when we read the scripture, let's not be too quick to just go to the thing he points out saying, I've got this against you. And you notice we often block out the other things. It's like when you're in a performance review session with your boss. And they say, you're doing this well, this well, this well, this well, this well. But there's this. We go into the default of, yeah, that's the thing they really wanted to talk about. <laughs> but Jesus is not like your boss. Jesus wanted to talk about all these things. Jesus wanted them to continue with the other things without leaving out the other thing. Now, I find this interesting because it shows us these areas. Now, for you, it might not be these seven areas that are important. For you, it might be maybe a situation where God would have highlighted three out of those seven, saying you need to work on this. The first thing that Jesus commends is, he says, I know your hard work. A revived church is full of hardworking people. And when I say hardworking, I'm not just talking about hardworking in your job because you're going to get a paycheck at the end of the month. Hello. I'm talking about hardworking in the work of the ministry. Why not? How many of you can raise your hand and say, you know what, when it comes to the kingdom agenda, the kingdom assignment that God has given me, I am hardworking. When Jesus was affirming these guys, he wasn't just talking about in your jobs out there. He was speaking to them as a church and he was saying, you guys at the church in Ephesus, you are hardworking. This was a phenomenal church. This was a church where Paul went and he spoke in the house of uh, the hall of Tyrannus. And it says that the word of God spread. Many disciples were formed there and the word of God spread throughout the whole of Asia. When Paul spoke, there was thousands of people that were influenced. And guess who influenced them? It was the people Paul had discipled. They were hard working. Some people say, oh no, you can't talk about that, Paul. You're getting into works mentality. How many of you know that Paul the Apostle spoke about working hard? But he says, with all of this that I do, I do it with the divine energy that comes from God. People should be looking at you and me and saying, where do you get the energy to do all the things you do? Then we say it's the divine energy. And how many of you that you'll always feel drained in your life if you're doing some things that are not your assignment? But when you are working hard on the assignment that God has given you, what happens? You're able to do a lot. I was very blessed. I keep, I'm using Lena a lot in examples today. She phoned me and we're talking about the outreach in Tembisa. And she said, I just feel there is more. I just feel there is more. We need to start going into the houses 
We need to start going and then we can do this and that. And I, I recognize there's divine energy. I recognize the divine energy. I didn't have to push it to do it. I didn't have to say, don't be lazy, Lena. You must start going to the houses. There was a divine energy based on an assignment she believes God has called her to. The second thing that he acknowledges was their perseverance. And I believe that God acknowledges it even today. There are a lot of Christians without backbone. There are a lot of Christians who give up too easily. And they're not kicked out of the church. They don't get kicked out of the church. I'm not saying they must be kicked out of the church. What I'm saying is if you look at New Testament Christianity, they would rebuke laziness seriously. They would rebuke you if you got easily disheartened. When you were in the army, if you were in David's army, if you were in David's army, they would look and say, is this person courageous or not? Courage lies in your heart. The scripture will talk about those whose hearts fail then. And I believe that there are a lot of Christians today who don't persevere. And I'm afraid that if you give up too easily, if you don't persevere, if you don't endure, what happens is you get offended easily. See, there are different things that cause us to give up. Number one, offense. That's a big one. Number two, when you don't see the results immediately. God challenged me because I would find myself in situations where I would move on from a particular client because they're starting to get uncomfortable. Or maybe they corrected something I'd done. Or maybe they felt like, no, we want you to be stronger here. No, can't you do this? Or they wanted things in a particular way. And I'll speak about it and I'll say, you know what? There's some clients you just have to fire. But the Lord began to challenge me and say, Paul, was it becoming uncomfortable with that individual over there? Paul, did you become discouraged? But because of my self-concept, I don't see myself as someone who's negative. I don't see myself as the kind of person who just gives up easily. So I couldn't entertain the thought that there were certain instances in my life where I got discouraged. Some of you right now are in a discouraged state, but you're not aware of it. You're discouraged, so you're now saying, what's the point of praying? My prayers don't get answered. So you're backslidden in your prayer life, but the root of it was discouragement. You are no longer persevering. Are you hearing me this morning? So he acknowledges their hard work. He acknowledges their perseverance. The third thing he acknowledges is their intolerance of wicked people. When a church becomes healthy, when a church is revived, when individuals are revived, there are certain things you don't tolerate. Some of you, the major hindrance that you experience into your personal revival is you've tolerated certain things. For some of you, you have to have that difficult conversation where you face other people, where you say to certain people, and I mentioned this to the men yesterday, you know what, you're right, I have actually been ignoring you. You're right, because each time we speak, I feel really drained. I'm just being very honest. I actually feel really drained because you always want something from me. But for friendship to work, it has to be mutual. I just want to say to you let's take it from the top otherwise we have to restretch this relationship or we have to redefine it because things are not working right now some of the people who experience the most breakthrough in their lives are able to have those difficult conversations some of you might not come to a place of personal revival because you don't know how to have those difficult conversations simple as that So what you end up doing is you end up lying to your kids. Tell them I'm not here. 
tell them daddy is working. Then the next day you're rebuking your kids for lying to you, but you've been doing it all the time. Jesus commends them for not tolerating wicked people. Now some of you will say, but Paul, that's not a major point. Paul, Jesus was just, you know, breezing over that one. Well, if you read ahead and you look at Revelation 2 verse 20, when Jesus is speaking to the church at Thyatira, one of the things he says he's got against them, he doesn't say you've lost your first love. He says, and this I've got against you, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. That was the thing he had against that church at Thyatira. So those of you who think that, I know this thing of toleration, Paul, you're stretching it a bit, well, just carry on reading and you'll see in verse 20. That is the one thing he had, and maybe it's the one thing he has against you. First love, you're fine. But you're tolerating wicked people. The fourth thing that Jesus recognized was that they were testing false claims. He says that you test those who claim to be apostles. Now that could be anything else. Because we've got a life where there are people who claim to be something they're not. And we have to be able to see beneath the smiles. And Jesus commanded them that there are certain people who are coming and proclaiming that they're this when they're not. And you guys have tested them to say, are you really what you say you are? In a revived church, a revived people don't just accept ministry from anyone. A revived people will test those who claim to be something that they're not. And I mean, if you know that in your life, sometimes it even happens at an individual level. There's some people who are claiming to be your friend, but they're not really true friends. You have to test them. There's some people who will come and they'll claim to be a boss who loves you to bits saying, we're so interested in your development. We really believe so much in you. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, they're not. And one of the things Jesus commends is the ability to actually love the truth so much that we test those who claim to be something that they're not. Number five. He commends them for endurance of hardship and not growing weary. Are you growing weary? Are you feeling like, Paul, how long can I keep doing this? How long can I keep loving these people? There's a reward for those who endure hardship. You know the type of hardship these guys were going through? Persecution. Persecution. That's why I say there's some Christians who don't have backbone. Because it's like their whole world falls apart if someone teases them because they're a Christian. They can't stand up for Jesus. Everything becomes about impression management. They say, ah, no, in the workplace, oh, I can't speak about Jesus. Oh, I can't talk about church because I'm not being professional then. That's a guardian lie right there. Your root issue is you're avoiding the hardships that come with persecution. How many of you in this place are willing to be persecuted for Jesus? I'm always praying for people in the workplace. I'm always praying for people in the workplace. I just ask them. I don't care what the company says. I just say, would you like prayer? The person agrees and says, yes, yes. And most of the time they're desperate for it. Begin to pray. God begins to speak to their life and so on. They're blown away. God pitches up. Some of you have believed a lie. Ah, no, 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 no. That's only for church. The sixth one is the first love that we speak about a lot. 
And what I find interesting about the first love in a revived church, what I find interesting about this is that it's your responsibility. And God is calling us to take responsibility because it says here that you have forsaken your first love. It doesn't say the first love just vanished away from you like it was not within your control. It says, I have this against you. You have actually forsaken it. You have left it. So don't blame the church for forsaking your first love. Don't blame your wife for the fact that your first love is gone. Don't blame Christian leaders and say, no, because, yeah, it's because of the leaders. Yeah, because of the hypocrisy in the church. No, Jesus addresses it and he says, you have forsaken your first love. Doesn't say other people have come and squashed that first love out of you. Doesn't say other people have come and squeezed the first love out of you. You have forsaken it. And then the seventh one that he mentions, I find interesting. He says, he talks about hating specific practices that he also hates. The revived person hates what Jesus hates. And what I find in the modern day church today is that there are a lot of things we love that Jesus loves. Jesus say, I love this. And we say, yes, I love it too. But I don't know if you know that there are certain things Jesus hates. For example, he says, I hate the haughty spirit, the proud person. He hates that. The pride within a person. He loves all people, but he hates their pride. Do you also hate it like Jesus hates it? Do we hate what he hates? You see, what happens is when you're revived, you begin to carry his heart. At Ignite, my wife was talking about the burden of the Lord. You begin to carry his heart. What is burdening the Lord Jesus? What is grieving the Lord Jesus? Is it the same thing that grieves you? Some of you might be interested because it talks about how he, you, this church hated the practices of the Nicolaitans. And as I've researched on that, it's interesting because there are many different takes in terms of what these Nicolaitans actually did and what those practices were. Some people say it's a play on words because Nico speaks of, anyone called Nicholas here, speaks of victory. And Latian speaks of the laity, all right? The people who weren't sort of like your so-called, you know, church leaders, prophets, pastors, etc. So victory over the laity. And they were saying that these were people who were dominating the other people and using that as an excuse, using their status as an excuse to get into idolatry. So some people believe that these guys, their practices were they partaking of food offered to idols. Some people feel like it also speaks of sexual immorality and those are some of the practices in those times. Remember, this is Ephesus we're talking about, eh? Where there was temp prostitute worship, you know, in temple worship, you know, temple prostitutes and things like that. And people felt that these are the guys who were mixing in immorality with biblical Christianity. Okay? So that's a strong thought around it. But the point is, I don't want to emphasize what they actually did. But the fact of the matter is Jesus loved the fact that these guys in the Ephesus church hated what he hated. Amen? Do you hate what he hates? Now, what I find interesting when we look at this, and I just want to touch on the specific one that we are all into, and it's the revival of the first love, because that's the one he emphasizes. And guys, when we talk about personal revival, this is my final part, when we talk about personal revival, I believe that if we want our first love for Jesus to be restored, it'll be seen in our prayer life. If I say I love someone, think about it. Think about when you first got hooked up to your current wife. <laughs> that 
it's a joke from yesterday. Someone was talking about his wife and they said, my current wife. <laughs> okay. But what happens is that if we want to build a relationship with Jesus, you have to talk to him and you have to listen to him. If you want to build a relationship with your spouse, you have to talk to them and you have to listen to them. And guess what? And it's not a burden. It's not a chore. I enjoy spending time with my wife. I enjoy listening to what she has to say and chatting to her. It's not this thing I have to discipline myself to do like, oh, a date with my wife. What is it going to be like? <laughs> Amen? So I want to end off by giving you some tips in terms of this first piece of revival. As we go through the series, we'll be talking about different things that need to be revived. And I want to touch on this one thing where we can slide forward in our prayer lives, our individual times with the Lord. Are you ready? I want to give you some tips because many people say, you must pray more. Have you had your quiet times? But people don't know how. People don't know what is best practice to actually grow in my individual times of prayer. And I want to just share with you some things from my personal life and things that I feel like God has been teaching me. Here are some keys to sliding forward in prayer. The first key is realize how far you've fallen. When Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus, he says, you've forsaken your first love. And what does he go on to say? He says, realize how far you have fallen. How many of you know that you can only truly repent when you recognize how far you've fallen? You see, sin is falling short of the glory of God. It's like an arrow. If you take a bow and arrow and you shoot it and it misses the mark, but it's not like it goes past the mark, it falls short. It falls short. But you see, you cannot truly repent if you don't recognize how far you've fallen short. I believe that we're in a season where if we want to grow in our prayer lives, we have to face ourselves and literally say, how far have I fallen, Lord? Could it be that God is speaking to you where he's convicting you that you can watch a three-hour or you can watch two soccer matches in a row, relaxing, concentrating on the pastors and everything, but you cannot spend that amount of time in prayer? The second thing is know that your prayers make a difference. One of the reasons we don't pray is we believe the lie that my prayers won't change anything. And I tell you right now, your prayers change things. Sometimes we sit here in church or at Ignite and we actually have sessions where we'll say, let's pray for, let's pray for government or let's pray for the domains. So let's pray for sports. Let's pray for the ministry of sports. What is it called in this country? Youth sports. Youth sports and culture. What's the official name? And we pray for that particular domain. And we say, let's pray for sports. And we think it doesn't make a difference. I'll tell you, it does make a difference. Just the other day, I received an email. And guess where it was from? I received an email from, I won't say the specific body, but by inference, you'll figure out. But it was one of the major sporting bodies in this country. And it's quite infamous. And they were basically, it's of a sport that I love. And they were basically saying, guys, They'll edit it out. Okay. And they're basically saying, we've heard about you. Can you come and speak to our staff on ethics? How do you explain that? I'm not associated directly with them, but I know that in this church we prayed that integrity comes in to the different domains. 
What are the chances? How does that happen? Know that your prayers make a difference. Number three, make an appointment with the Lord. Make an appointment with the Lord. Have you noticed, if I don't have an appointment, let's say with my wife, I don't have an appointment with her, and I'm just doing some work and doing whatever I do, and I say to her, yeah, maybe I'll see you later. Will I see her later? No, I'm caught up in my activities. But if I say, okay, we've got a date at such and such a time, I'll meet you at the mall at a specific time. I've got an appointment with her. Guess what I'll do? I'll organize the rest of my life around that appointment. Please hear me this morning. Make an appointment with the Lord. Have a specific time where you say, God, I've got an appointment with you. Do you know what happens when you've got an appointment with the Lord on a daily basis? Do you know what happens? You'll wake up, and this is, my, this is my fourth point. Know that Jesus is waiting for you. Waking up is easier because you have a strong sense that Jesus is actually waiting for me at the appointment. I'm telling you that will revolutionize your prayer life. Decide the night before, this is the time I'm going to be waking up. Decide the week before, this is what my week looks like and this is what I'm going to be doing. Have an appointment with God. Are you hearing me? The fourth one is, know that Jesus is waiting for you. The fifth is, give God your best time. Give God your best time. The Lord has convicted me on this. Because very often what we do is we make sure we've got a sharp mind concerning everything. And we say, yeah, I have to get up early because I have to do this and I need a sharp mind to do that report. Ah, yeah, and then now it's my time where I'm really relaxed and this is my best time for my exercise. And then now this is the best time for me to have this particular meeting because I'll be at my sharpest. But it's the time where we are half asleep, dozing. That's the time we have our one-on-one with the Lord. The Lord challenged me. Give God your best time. He's worthy of your best time. Don't con yourself and say, I pray a lot, yet 50% of that prayer time, you're sleeping. The sixth, establish what is important and then organize everything else around it. You see, if we're saying my relationship with Jesus is of utmost importance, establish that and organize everything in your life around it. What I see happening is a lot of people will have priorities. Look at this. What we say is our priority, then there's the real priority. You know what I'm talking about? Your priorities will be seen in what you schedule and how you schedule it. When it's not in your schedule, when there's no appointment for it, you're basically saying, you know what, they do their job. We say that it's sin. It'll just happen by itself. Right? Find out what's most important in your life, then organize everything else around it. Number seven, keep your motives pure. The Bible says when you pray, close yourself up in your closet. Close yourself up in secret. And God who's in secret... God who's in that secret place. The word intercession, the word talks about meeting place. God who's in that secret place, who sees what you're doing privately, will reward you publicly. Many of us are praying, saying, God, I want to experience honor publicly. God is saying, have you honored me privately? 
Have you honored me in the secret place? What are you doing in the secret place? Yes, we can all be fine and spiritual in front of people. We can all pray nice prayers, but we're doing it in front of people because we want to look spiritual. What am I saying? Your motives must be pure. You can't be saying, I'm doing this because I want to impress the pastors. I'm doing this because I want to show my wife how spiritual I am and I want her to respect me more. Amen? There's certain things God will show you in the secret place that He actually instructs you. You're not allowed to say a word to anyone about this until the time is right. And when God sees that He can trust you with His mysteries, guess what ends up happening? He then promotes you. Because at different levels, at different levels in His kingdom, there are different dimensions of mysteries that He shows you. God doesn't hide things from us. He hides them for us. He hides them only to reveal them. It's the glory of a king to search out a matter and he wants us to be searching out matters. Keep your motives pure. Number eight, remain dependent on God. Remain dependent on God, knowing that the greater your responsibility, the greater the need to pray. Solomon in scripture basically said, I need wisdom. Why did he say I need wisdom to God? He says, because I have to lead such greater people. What I've realized is the greater the responsibilities you have, the greater your need to pray. The apostles in the early church, what did they say? They said that, you know what, we will devote ourselves to the word and pray. It's not right that we continue waiting at tables. We need to be focused on the word and pray. Why? They had a great responsibility. Some of you are saying, no, I've got too many responsibilities, therefore I don't have time to pray. That's the opposite of what I'm saying here. Because of your great responsibilities, there's greater requirement for you to pray. Amen? Amen? Amen. Number nine, understand the difference between prayer, watching, waiting, and wrestling. You see, sometimes we go and we say, I'm praying, and God wants us to actually be making declarations. Sometimes we go and we say, I'm just praying and it's the same way all the time. They're different types of prayer. There are times when we say, okay, I'm going to pray about this, but God just wants you to be waiting on him concerning it and getting that profound word from him. There are times you can say, oh, I'm praying for you, my brother, but God wants you, like Paul the Apostle, to say, I earnestly agonize. The word he uses is agonizomai in the Greek. I'm agonizing over you until Christ is formed in you. How many of you know, the Lord has been showing me that there are times when I'll pray about certain things, but He's saying, I want you to wrestle in the Spirit concerning that thing. Are you hearing me this morning? Find out what it is. Number 10, learn to linger on a topic. Learn to linger on a topic. How many of you know that there are things God only reveals after a few questions? There are things God will only speak to you after you ask more than two questions deep on the thing. Sometimes when we pray, we make the mistake of just like, oh yeah, just give me my one over. Oh, let me pray for Sean Roberts. Yeah, I want the Lord bless him. Oh, Lord, be here. Give him scenario. I just, you know, touch the Lord. I remember that the times when God will then say, just linger there. Just hang out there for a while. Just begin to wrestle a bit. Just begin to wait on me and hear what heaven has to say. And when you begin to pray from a place of having heard, the prayer is so much more powerful. There are times when you pray quick shotgun prayers. But there are other times when he's saying, just wrestle, just hang out there for a while. And guess what? The person doesn't always need to know. 
Be very careful of that, those of you who are intercessors. Not every single person. If I'm praying for people, there'll, there'll be some where God will say, you must encourage them. Tell them that you've been praying for them. But your motives have to be pure there. Because sometimes we've got wrong motives where we want someone to know we're praying for them because we want them to like us more. And then we defeat the power of the prayer. And then God doesn't reveal more things about that person to us because we've disqualified ourselves. Because we didn't use that information as he had called us to use it. There are times he wants you to share because often you'll have a word for the person. There are other times you'll just say, just, just sit on it. Pray for the individual for a couple of weeks and they'll never know. At a certain point when the testimony comes, you're tempted to then say, it's because of my prayers. I prayed for you, my brother. Are we going to pass those tests? I'm closing now. Number 11, know that prayer is also about hearing and recording. It's not just about talking. It's about hearing and recording. Recording what God has said. It will encourage you when you look back and you see what you were praying for a week ago and you see the breakthrough. Number 12, list your agenda. List your prayer list. Sometimes we're going to prayer and there's no agenda. I don't know about you, but I find that the most effective meetings I have is when there's an agenda, where we know what we're meeting about. You ever have when you're about to meet with someone and you actually don't know why you're meeting and you're just going to pitch up there? What you need to pray about, begin to list it. Number 13, prepare for the next day. Sometimes what I do is I'll sit down and there'll be things coming to my mind that are not on that prayer list and are not for me to necessarily pray on that particular day. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about. And I'll jot it down on my list, which I'm forming for the following day or for the rest of the week. Are you seeing where I'm going? So that when you go into your time of prayer, you go prepared. So it's not like you're saying, I've woken up now, I'm about to pray. Then now you're looking for your prayer list. So you're looking for this, you're looking for this. No, by the time you go in, you know that you're going in to pray. Amen? So that was the 13th one. Prepare for the next day. And then number 14, time yourself. Huh? How can we time ourselves? When you go and you have a meeting with someone, you'll know the meeting is from 8 to 9. You know the meeting is from 3 to 5. Amen? Sometimes it's a known fact. People who time themselves when they're praying, who know how long they schedule to pray, tend to pray more. Why? Because if you just go and say, okay, I'm now, I'm now just going to pray. You'll think you've prayed a lot and you'll think you've prayed for long. But when you actually look at the, look at the time, you say, it was just 10 minutes. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Have an understanding that this is my time with the Lord and for the next X amount, I'm going to be seeking God's face. So that when you're feeling like, eh, I'm done, guys. And then you look and you see only 15 minutes have gone by. You linger and you linger and you linger. And what I found is sometimes the glory of God will only pitch up after quite a long time of praying. I'm talking now about Jesus manifest. I'm not talking about the fact that God is omnipresent, he's there. I'm talking about Jesus manifesting in his glory. I don't know, some of you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you find you have your release and you have your breakthrough way down the line. Number 15, don't be afraid of using crafted prayers, especially if you agree with them and you agree with the theology. 
Don't just use any crafted prayers. Well, some of them, theology is wrong. Okay? But don't be afraid of using crafted prayers. What are crafted prayers? Prayers that have already been written out for you. We had that on Friday night when Michael was leading us in praying for the Pretoria East um, church plant. Powerful moment where he had crafted prayers. Didn't it make it easier praying? And after you use some crafted prayers that have already been pre-written for you, after a while you catch on that spirit, don't you? You catch on and you can do it yourself. Or you use the crafted prayer, then you add on with your own language afterwards. And it helps you in your prayer time. Number 16, develop key categories to pray into. And that's my last point. Key categories to pray into. See, sometimes we go into a time of prayer and we just use one category. We just pray, let me pray for me and my family. Let me pray for my finances. No. In this time of revival, God is calling us to pray into different categories. There are different categories of prayer. Pray for yourself, your marriage, your children, your extended family, your nation and various domains, your business or your career, your own advancement, your health and your protection, your pastors and pastors that you know, your friends and your neighbors, your clients, your peers at work, your day ahead, your plans, your outreaches, your church's growth, your miracles. Amen? Pray the word in all these areas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time of personal revival. And we thank you for what is being awakened in the people of God. Father, we pray that you take us to new dimensions in the spirit. We pray that the things that are lying dormant, Lord, are resurrected even right now. Let the life of God come and awaken us. Let the very power of God come and revive us in our inner persons. Teach us to pray. Maybe you are here and we're talking about this revival, but you recognize that you have never given your heart to the Lord Jesus. While every head is bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you, to lift your hand up. If you want to surrender to the Lord Jesus this morning. If you want to be born again. Is there anyone here today? Just slip your hand up. I want to pray with you. Thank you. I see your hand. Is there anyone else? You want to give your heart to the Lord Jesus. Maybe you once knew the Lord. But you've been far from him. And you're saying I want to recommit my heart to the Lord Jesus. I want to come back. Slip your hand up right now if that's you. Is there anyone here? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? I'm going to ask everyone to please stand. Everyone, please stand where we are. Okay. I'm going to ask you, my sister, who raised her hand. My sister, just come forward and face me. I want to pray for you. Come on, just clap for this young lady. It's so precious, guys. It's so precious when someone comes to a knowledge of Jesus earlier on in their lives. It's so precious.